Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. First 20 verses of what we have called the Gadarene demoniac, or the person from Gadara that was possessed by a demon, is really what we have. Mark 5, they came over onto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarene and when he was come out of the ship immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unseen spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no man could bind him no, not with chains because that he had been off bound with fetters and chains and the chains had been plucked asunder by him and the fetters broken in pieces and neither could they maintain him Always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. He asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea, and they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that was done. And they came to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil, had the legion, uh, and had the legion, sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil, and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray unto him to depart out of their coasts, and when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit, Jesus suffered him not, but said unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. This story is very familiar, I know, to everybody. But I want, to, I want us to look at it in terms of what happened when Jesus came. The episode of Jesus coming to the country of Gadara 
when Jesus comes into any community, there's going to be one of two reactions or into any person. There's going to be a tremendous rejoicing and people feeling glad that he came, or there's going to be a deadly fear of his presence. One of the two reactions a person, a community, a nation is going to have. And this happened wherever he went. He was either received gladly, or he was looked upon with extreme fear. Because a face-to-face -face confrontation with Christ is going to produce a conviction that will lead to conversion, or it's going to produce an attitude of extreme despair or fear. One welcoming his presence, one being very fearful of his presence, one of the two. And all of us in our lives have been faced with those two reactions to the presence of Christ. Being fearful of him being near us, or being extremely glad that he was there. Now, when he came, the thing that happened was that Jesus really created quite a disturbance in Gadara. Here was a man who was really insane, but the scripture tells us that he was literally possessed of the devil, to the point that the man himself said that his name was Legion, and a Legion is 6,000. That is, he had many, many of the angels of the devil in his life, in possessing his very soul. He was completely under the control of Satan. Now, we talked about in our Bible study some weeks ago about demonization. And here is a real illustration of what takes place in a person's life when he or she becomes possessed of the devil. Satan's purpose is to hurt and to destroy. Nothing good ever results from the work of Satan. He will confuse people and make people think that what, what is happening is good. But the end result, even of what appears to be beautiful, will be ugly. What appears to be good will end up bad. His intention is to hurt and to destroy, if at all possible. There are at least seven things that we can note about this man that we can also observe are signs of demon possession. One of those is that he lived in isolation. He could not get along with people. This is a sign of demon possession. When a person cannot get along with somebody, the devil has a hold of them in some way or other. He lived out in the tombs because he couldn't live in society. He was uh, irate, 
didn't wear any clothes, was extremely strong so that nobody could even bind him with chains. He was filthy mouthed. He was belligerent. He was everything that made it necessary that he isolate himself from other people. And one of the things that we will see in people who are demon-possessed is that they are not capable of living in a community of sane, common, ordinary people. They are so angry and belligerent that they just can't get along with anybody. That's one sign of demon-possession. Doesn't mean that everybody who goes through spells of being difficult to get along with is demon-possessed at all, but that person who is to the extreme and, and lives away from everybody because he hates to be around people is demon-possessed. I'll never forget when I was a Boy Scout, which was three years ago, you understand, that uh, I went to Boy Scout camp. And one of the leaders of that camp made a statement that stuck in my mind and I have never forgotten it. I would like to know now why he said it. I'd like to understand his reasonings. He said, I hate people. That was his statement. He said it to the whole group. And my thoughts, even as a 12-year-old boy or 13 at that time, was, then if you hate people, what are you doing here leading a group of boys? I don't know if he was demon possession, but anybody who would take that attitude certainly would have to be questioned. He was living in loneliness. He could not get along with people. He was out here and nobody could restrain him. And the reason for that is that inside his soul, his heart, was an unrest that made it impossible for him to find peace. The scripture says there in um, forgotten what verse now, but he cried day and night, verse 5, I guess. Uh, he cried day and night. He was crying out in uh, probably unintelligible words. I don't know. But there was an unrest in his soul that made it impossible for him to find any peace, even with himself, let alone with other people. And the reason there was that unrest is that the devil was tormenting him, was doing everything he could to hurt him and to destroy him. That's the purpose of the devil. There are multitudes of people that we run into in our daily lives that are in a state of internal turmoil. And why is that turmoil there? Because the devil has them under his control and is endeavoring to destroy them if he possibly can. Another indication of demon possession is this man had self-inflicted wounds. He was continually abusing himself, cutting himself with rocks, and doing all kinds of unnatural uh, things to his own body. 
You consider some of the false religions of the world who put themselves through torment, lying on beds of nails, piercing themselves with, with needles, and all of this kind of thing. But it's happening in our society today. People who are inflicting themselves with all kinds of wounds. That's demon possession. This is not a natural reaction to anything that is normal and sane. Not only the, the infliction of wounds, but the addiction to drugs and to alcohol and all the other things that make a person uh, uh, incapable of being reasonable. And that's nothing but inflicting uh, devastation upon themselves. Why a person would delight in getting drunk to know that the next morning he's going to be so sick that he can't hold his head up is beyond normal reason. It's, it's the evidence of demonization that a person would do those things, and let alone all the drug stuff that we go on. All right, let's go on. I'm going to spend all night on this one more. He's not only at war with himself, he is at war with everybody else. He cannot get along. He's a menace to people. You don't trust certain people. And there's good reason not to trust them, because they are a menace. I have known people that I would not possibly turn my back upon or allow them to be alone in the presence of my children because I was afraid of what they might do. Not only do people do physical abuse to other people, but they, they uh, work on one's mentality, one's uh, good name, and try to tear down other people in some way. They may not physically hit or abuse or sexually abuse, but they will... Uh, take a person's character and try to destroy it. They'll create havoc for their name in order to, to tear them down. This is abuse that people give to others, and that's a sign of demonization. So all of those things are indications of what this man is going through that we see even in today's world. Now, Jesus speaks to the man after the man comes down and falls in front of him and, and begs him to leave him alone. Jesus, first of all, asks what his name is, and the man responded, Legion, meaning he was possessed with many devils. But when Jesus speaks, he doesn't speak now to the man. He speaks to the devil. And he orders these demons to come out of him. He orders them out. You talk about a disturbance. Here Jesus is standing calmly with a wild man on his knees in front of him. And his disciples and the people of, of the country were gathered around and watching this, and they were scared to death. Well, Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, for him, that I came not to bring peace to the world, but a sword to turn... A man against man, son against father, and those things. And you will find that that's true. Jesus Christ is a disturbing person. 
he does create disturbances in families when some part of the family wants to follow Christ and the other part wants to follow the devil. And most of us have experienced that internal family disturbance. Jesus has caused it. For we were all not Christian, just all sinners lost and going to hell. There wouldn't be a family disturbance, but we would all have the same picture as to what life ought to be like. But since part of us have become Christian, we have changed and are going a new direction, and this creates a problem for the other people who want to stay following the world. And so it happens on Sunday when part of the family wants to go to the church and part of the family wants to go somewhere else, there is a disturbance created. And those who are of the world can't understand why it is that you and I and others like us want to take Sunday and go to church. I don't understand that. There is a division created within the family. And there are some families in this community that have talked to me about that specifically. And one of the problems that this new Christian faced in becoming Christian was a real conflict with the rest of the family. And we're living a rough life because of it. A long time, Peter asked Jesus to depart from his presence. He said, I am sinful. And Isaiah, back in the Old Testament, that very familiar passage, he said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. We see our condition, and it disturbs us. Psychologists say that almost everybody has a dream of at some point in their life being in public nude. I'm not asking you if you've ever had that dream. But many people have that kind of a dream. And there is a turmoil established at that point in endeavoring to hide one's nudity in the presence of people who are clothed. Hide behind bushes or desks or and you don't know why you do, but suddenly, there you are. And psychologists try to figure all this out as to why you're having this type of dream. And I suppose it could have many reasons for being. But I want to use that as an illustration to point out that that's exactly what Jesus does to us. He stands us in public, stripped of all our uh, spiritual clothing, and causes us to be ashamed of what we are in his presence. And right where we ought to be. We are seen there. Our soul is bare. And we stand red-faced in the presence of God. And I think probably that's what the meaning of that dream is, that it's a carryover for us to realize that the Lord Jesus has placed us in a position of bearing our soul to God and we're seen stripped naked before God himself as if it were happening in public. There's a poem that says, I have walked life's way with an easy tread and have found where comforts and pleasures led until one day in a quiet place I met the Savior face to face. I met him and knew 
Uh, I met him and knew him and blushed to see that his eyes, full of sorrow, were fixed on me. And I faltered and fell at his feet that day while my cats was melted and vanished away. Melted and vanished in their place, naught else did I see but the master's face. And I cried aloud, Oh, make me need to follow the steps of thy wounded feet. My thought is now for the souls of men. I have lost my life to find it again. And ever since one day in a quiet place, I met the master face to face. Well, that's one of the disturbing things that happens when we meet the Lord Jesus. We're stripped of all our self-righteousness and must stand spiritually naked before him. And it's embarrassing. So he creates a disturbance. And here was a man physically naked, but more than that, he was spiritually stripped and stood before the master and begged that Jesus leave him alone because he couldn't stand the, the searching eyes of the master to see his total spiritual as well as physical need. Another disturbing thing that Jesus does happens when uh, there is a call for help. You remember that Paul was searching for what he ought to do with his life and where he ought to minister. And he was trying to go into Asia, and the Lord wouldn't let him go. And one night as he wrestled with it, he had a dream. He dreamed he saw a man standing over on the shores of Macedonia, which is in Greece. And the man standing there was crying out, come over and help us. When Paul understood that he was to go and to help the people of Macedonia. It's very disturbing when God calls us to go help and we just plain don't want to do it. That disturbs us. The man who was robbed and beaten and left along the side of the road that Jesus told us about, three men came by. One of them was a priest another was a Levite, and they looked at the man and went on by, and finally a Samaritan came along and picked him up and took him to an inn and took care of him. The thing that disturbs us is when we walk along that road and see somebody along the side of it in need, and we really don't want to get involved. So what do we do? We put blinders on and pretend as if we never saw the person in need. And we can't do that without being disturbed. It's going to create a disturbance within us. How is it possible that we can turn away from a person in need and so it disturbs? Well, not only did Jesus come to disturb, but he come to heal. He commands the demons that were in this man to come out. There's one fact absolutely true, and that is before the Holy Spirit can live in a person's soul, the devil has to come out. Before this man could be possessed of Jesus, devil, the devil had to be extracted from his demons. This people don't seem to understand, and that's why multitudes of people try to compromise and say, well, I'll become good or I'll become better. I'm going to change my pattern of life. I'm going to start living the way I ought to live. 
I'm going to do all these things, but they never get into the devil inside. Here's where the hypocrite comes into the, into the picture. Those who pretend to be something they are not. Those who pretend to be saved when in fact the devil lives in the soul. The devil's got to come out in order for the Lord to get in. Jesus came to get rid of the devil and replace him with the person of the Holy Spirit. And this gave the man purpose. The devils came out and went into the swine. The swine were drowned and all that. But I want you to notice the change in the man. When the devils came out, the man was free of their control. He was now sane, and he asked for clothing to put on. Somebody must have had a suit of clothing, some clothing there with them, and they gave him some clothes to put on, and he sat with the others calm and serene and uh, listened to what the Lord had to say. Now he could do two things. Now he could live with himself, and he could live with others. He was quiet and had no intent of attacking anybody. Jesus brings out the best of people. The devil brings out the worst. If a person's reaction to a given situation is less than desirable, it's the devil causing it to happen. If a person reacts with a good attitude, an uplift attitude, Morally right and loving and kind and sympathetic and generous and all of those good words, it's because of the Lord Jesus. If a person acts with bitterness and anger and, and uh, all of those things that are negative, that's the influence of the devil in a person's life. When somebody wants to tear down somebody, you can bet the devil is in the picture. When somebody wants to encourage and build up someone, it's because the Lord is working. So, thirdly, and lastly, let me say that Christ gave this man a new meaning for life. It became a life of beauty and purpose. The man immediately requests that he would go with the Lord. Why did he want to go with the Lord? He had been living here in isolation, in the tombs all by himself, ranting and raving and shouting and, and rushing out and attacking people and doing all kinds of brutal things. And here he now is wanting to go with the Lord. I want to suggest three reasons real quick. One is that he may have been aware that he was a very weak person, though he now was free of demons. Secondly, he might slip back into allowing them to possess him again. Or thirdly, he might have been doing it because he wanted to express his love and gratitude, but Jesus refused to let the man go with him. He said no. At first, that sounds like a shocking request. We asked Jesus, let me go with you, and Jesus said no. But he said, you go home to your own people. You tell them what good thing the Lord has done for you. I want to suggest something. When we make a request of the Lord, and he says no, it's because he has something better in store for us than what we asked for. He's got something better in mind. Jesus gave us a parable. He said, if a son of yours asks for bread, will you give him rocks? 
You know his answer is, certainly not. If my son asked for bread, I wouldn't give him rocks. He said, if your son asked for a fish, would you give him a snake? The obvious answer is, certainly not. I wouldn't react that way. But he's saying, neither, when you ask, neither will your father give you something bad for the good that you have asked him for. Meaning, the Lord has good things in store for us. And if we ask and he says no, it's because there is something better that he wants to give us. If we're in a position capable and ready to receive it. The problem is sometimes we keep ourselves in trial with the work of the devil that we can't receive what he wants. But he said, go home and tell the people there what good thing the Lord has done for you. What did he want? He wanted the man to be a living example. He wanted people to see what the Lord had done. There's a little hymn that sometimes we sing. I haven't sung it for a long time. It simply says this. It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he can do for you. With arms wide open, he'll welcome you. It is no secret what God can do. Everything is positive and upbeat on what God does. And a wild man was tamed by the word of the Lord. An unsaved man becomes saved. One who is belligerent is now calm and serene. One who could not live with anybody is now capable of going out and witnessing other people. Because the devil had been cast out, Christ taken his place. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.